This episode is brought to you by Progressive. Are you driving your car or doing laundry right now? Podcasts go best when they're bundled with another activity. Like Progressive home and auto policies, they're best when they're bundled too. Having these two policies together makes insurance easier and could help you save. Customers who save by switching their home and car insurance to Progressive save nearly $800 on average. Quote a home and car bundle today at Progressive.com. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. National average 12-month savings of $793 by new customers surveyed who saved with Progressive between June 2021 and May 2022. Potential savings will vary. AI is making waves in every field it touches. President Biden is now on TikTok and the election draws closer each day. With so much going on in the world, it is hard to keep up with it all, let me tell you. Hi, I'm Kai Rizdal, the co-host of Make Me Smart. It's a podcast from Marketplace. And every weekday, Kimberly Adams and I break down the latest in business and the economy with short daily episodes to make it easy for you to stay in the know. Listen to Make Me Smart wherever you get your podcasts. Hello, welcome to Little Gold Men. It's Oscar week. Here we go. It's such an honor to present this next award. And here are the nominees. And... The Oscar goes to... And the Oscar goes to... And I can't deny the fact that you like me right now. You like me. I'm the king of the world. There's a mistake. Moonlight, you guys won Best Picture. I'm Katie Rich. I'm here for our Oscar predictions episode. Uh, no turning back now. I am joined by Richard Lawson. Hello. David Canfield. Hi. And Rebecca Ford. Hello. I don't mean to make this all sound so scary because this is a fun <laughs> week <laughs> by all standards. We look forward to this all year. Um, but here comes the moment where we really have to, uh, you know, put down our wagers on what will win in all of these categories, some of which, as you'll hear, are easier to predict than others. Um, who has a stomachache right now as we as we go public with our ideas here? I had stress dreams last night about this, so that's where I'm at. <laughs> I'm, I'm just low on, on sleep is my biggest problem. <laughs> So even if you, your preferred contenders don't win at the Oscars, you'll just be relieved that it's over. You don't yes. have to do this again for yes, another I just year. need a good night's sleep. <laughs> I'm currently mired in, in putting together the 2003 GIF recap. Um, I'm, I think I'm 150 GIFs in at this point, and I'm not even halfway through the broadcast. Um, so if I predict that like Chris Cooper's going to win, just stop me. <laughs> Remind me what year it is, and we can move forward. Uh, I look forward to that gift recap uh, every year, maybe more than anything else we do. So um, thank you for your service, Richard. Well, it, it'll be up by the time this episode airs, hopefully. But also, it's not a terribly funny year because of all the Iraq War stuff. So yes. <laughs> just manage expectations in terms of humor. I remember you were wondering how you were going to make it funny. <laughs> and I'm failing. That's what is, is the answer to that. Um, before we get into our predictions, I do feel like I should do some housekeeping and some log rolling because uh, the night of the Oscars is the uh, the Vanity Fair Oscar party, an event you may have heard of. Hopefully you heard us talking to our editor and chief, Radika Jones, about it earlier this week. Um, David and Rebecca will be inside at the Oscars and I will be at our party and then on our live stream from the Oscar party. It's going to start at 9 p.m. Pacific time. So that is midnight for you on the East Coast. But why would you not stay up late to watch me uh, and our little Goldman founding host, Mike Hogan? Uh, who'll be on the air with me along with Franklin Leonard, founder of The Blacklist and a frequent guest on this podcast. Um, and Rebecca, we're making you zip from the Oscars to join the live stream. Uh, we, we cannot promise that a traffic jam will not prevent you, but uh, <laughs> the current plan is to have you on there as well. 
So that will be happening. We'll be uh, sharing dispatches from the Oscars in our live blog. Um, if you go to vf.com slash Oscar party, you can find the live stream and coverage from the party. Uh, Richard, you'll be covering from Austin, Texas. Uh, you know, the, <laughs> yeah. the, the, the Oscars of the West, I think. or the Southwest, Oscar, Oscar South, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Um, it'll be all hands on deck, so hopefully you'll join us. And, of course, we'll have our day after the Oscars uh, Little Gold Men episode recorded on three to four hours of sleep um, as per tradition. So let's get into our predictions. We're going to talk about the Indie Spirits and the WGA Awards, both of which happened last weekend, kind of as we get into this. It's kind of unavo- unavoidable. Um, so let's start with the shorts, which we talked about last week, and maybe we can zip through quickly since we got there already. Um, David, you wrote our prediction for best documentary short, and I think you are um, echoing what we said when we talked about them last week. Yeah, I think as we talked about with the shorts, and as is true of the shorts every year, these categories can go in a few different ways. The The movie that, to me, stands out as the obvious winner and that I predicted was Stranger at the Gate. Um, it's run a smart campaign, which does matter here. Malala, who's an executive producer on the movie, has really gotten behind it and has been kind of the face of it. Uh, the film has this sweet and weighty uh, relationship at its center, which tends to play well in these categories. And I, I think of its competition, uh, my personal choice, and I think this group's personal choice, Haul Out, relies on more active viewing experience maybe, which it's hard to read how much the shorts get that with the whole Mm -hmm. Academy. Um, And the elephant whispers, which I think is uh, the most accessible it's on Netflix. I've heard of a lot of people watching it um, and it could pull it out just because it has uh, a kind of sweep that people uh, often go for in these categories. But I think stranger at the gate hits, hits a lot of buttons and uh, feels like the winner to me. I think that's a good bet. Anyone disagree? No, I think, I think right. it's a movie that that looks at a couple symptoms of a problem and then a, one individual solution to that problem, but not actually at the problem. <laughs> and I think that's you know that that can go over well when you're watching a short. You just want an easy fix after you know thirty minutes. I think the limits of the movie work in its favor as an Oscar contender. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Um, okay, we'll move on to animated short, which I took the job of predicting. And I really feel like I'm going with my heart rather than my head here. But animated short in particular, I think, is so hard to predict when there's not like a Pixar movie in there. Um, so I went with my year of dicks, uh, which we talked about last week as maybe being all of our favorites of the bunch, despite some really strong efforts in here. Um, and I think the boy, the mole, the fox and the horse is the you know Pixar level heavy hitter you could look at. But um, Richard, as I was listening back to last week's episode, like <laughs> you're like Scorn for this earnest child in the middle of the movie (laughs) might speak for some voters, too. Um, I I think it's slow. I think it's slow. I think that that might be one problem. The animation is beautiful um, and it has famous actors doing the voices. It has famous producers. It's Apple. Like it has pedigree to it. So that could push it over the edge. But I think kind of, you know, we're talking about three long or sort of three elaborate titles. The Boy, the Mole, the Fox and the Horse, My Year of Dicks. The third one would be An Ostrich Told Me the World is Fake. And I think I believe it. I feel like that could kind of sneaky make its way to the top somehow just because Mm. it's cute. It's meta. It's clever. It's a student film, and that's kind of exciting. Like, I don't know. Um, but I think your my guess would be Meyer Dicks as well, because it has the catchy title, and its content is accessible for the grown-up Academy audience. Well, something that Pam Ribbon, the uh, creator of My Year of Dicks, said when we talked to her about it is that she learned as a uh, as a recapper on the internet that if you give it a good title, it helps get attention. And both My Year of Dicks and The Nostrils told me um, have that going for them. 
I know. Yeah. I do wonder. I wish there was a study that said how many voters actually watch all the shorts because <sighs> I, I think yeah. David's theory about a, a sexy title is totally, totally right when it comes to these groups. So I think you're, you're, you've, you've made the right call here, Katie. Agreed. This is probably down to the best and the worst movie of the bunch. Is, <laughs> That's true. See, I'm not alone in my boy mole fox horse hate. <laughs> I just was maybe a little more, more forceful about it. I think this will come up a few times, but no, like not really being sure what to predict. I'd rather be wrong and predict the thing I care about than, uh, you know, hedge my bets and second guess. So I'm going with my year of dicks. It's a real preview of this predictions episode. Yeah, I think so. Um <laughs> Well, Rebecca, I think you feel more confident, and we all do, in the uh, live-action short, which is both a, a heavyweight winner and a really good movie. What a great combo. Yes, I feel like this is my s- most for-sure prediction out of the ones I had to do. Um, so I, I do, you know, we talked about this last week, how only one of these films sort of feels like a complete movie rather than a, a proof of concept or a feature. And I think uh, Les Poupilles, am I saying this right? Les Poupilles? Yeah. Poupilles? Okay. I don't know. Well, it's um, is both a really well done film, but it also um, has had a really sort of large awards run. It was in Cannes, it was in Telluride, it's produced by Alfonso Cuaron. So it definitely feels like it, it is the one to sort of easily take this win. It would be delightful. I hope all those girls get to run, run up on stage and accept the Oscar <laughs> and sing a song. Um, okay, David, let's go to Best Sound, which I think is an example of what we may hit a couple times where you, you haven't really thought that much about a category. And then you start looking at it being like, oh, my God, who knows who's going to win in here? And sound is like shockingly competitive, I think. It is. Um, it's where you bump up against several movies this year. Uh, the question of how many Oscars are they going to win slash are they going to win any? <laughs> and there's a lot here that, I mean, to spoil, we're not predicting uh and any wins um i went out on a limb and i did predict top gun maverick here i think that is a bit of a limb at this point because it's the only win i think all of us would expect this movie to win and that's always risky especially below the line um you know when you have a movie just getting that one versus like a dune sweep or you know expecting movies like elvis as we are to win several um but I think this movie has a few things going for it. It's a plane movie. <laughs> and I remembered when the car movie, Ford v. Ferrari, won a bunch of, uh, a couple, I think it won both sound Oscars. It won at least one um, back when there were two. And you also had a movie like Mad Max Fury Road, which I think this movie has a lot in common with as a sequel. It sort of met a larger um, Academy slash overall awards embrace. Um its competition is, I think, Elvis. If Elvis just runs the table below the line, it, I think it can win, honestly, four or five. Um, I think we're predicting three. And All Quiet in the Western Front. And that, to me, is just the big question mark of a lot of these categories is, can it do what it did at BAFTA and just really run up a tally? Um, I'm a little more skeptical. I think even though it's a war movie... Um, it's just a lot tougher for um, a non-English language movie to dominate below the line. We just don't see that very often. I've seen Pan's Labyrinth as a movie that gets that's been compared to it a little mm. bit, um, which I think is a good comparison as a really craft-heavy, um, widely embraced non-English language film by the Academy. But yeah, I think Top Gun has something unique here and it does feel like it has to win somewhere. And maybe that's a naive way of thinking about it, but that's where I'm at. 
For All Quiet, I keep thinking about, you know, being an Oscar photo with a ballot and seeing All Quiet on the Western Front, like a very regarded movie that, like, who knows who's seen it. It's a Netflix movie. You never know. Versus Top Gun Maverick, the movie that Steven Spielberg says saved movie theaters, and Elvis, which kind of followed right at its heels and did the same thing. Like, I, it's hard for me to imagine, like, choosing All Quiet over either of those two over and over again, especially when both Top Gun and Elvis have exceptional sound work that you could acknowledge here. I think there's just going to be voter bias. They're not going to vote for a movie with quiet in the title for a sound category. It's just not going to do it. <laughs> it's such a loud movie, though, Richard. It's so loud. Some, something subconscious is going to happen, and they're going to say, that doesn't feel right. So Top Gun it is. <laughs> Rebecca, what do you think? You know, since this category has been combined, I feel like it still has that consistent issue that some people don't know what they're voting for with this category. Yes. Like what the technical merits of of sound are. Um, so loud movies, like you said, jet planes, war, do super well in this category. So I, I definitely think it's between those two. And I think you're right. People are going to want to vote for Top Gun somewhere, and it feels like it's fallen off in a lot of the other categories. So I, I'd agree with you, David. I'd go Top Gun, too. Katie gave more eloquent reasoning, but I'm going to stick with plane movie, car movie, war movie. <laughs> I will say s- s- musicals do also do well in um, yeah, that's true. in sound categories. So that's a, that's an edge for Elvis. They do. And I, I think Elvis is a real possibility. It just depends. It's another one that just kind of depends on how much love there is for it when it comes to the wins. Well, and, you know, I think people who listen to the show know this. You know, a lot of these awards come early in the night and you're going to start getting a sense of a sweep maybe early. Uh, although we all would have said Dune was going to win Best Picture after watching the kind of pre-show crafts last year. So it doesn't always uh, lead you where you need to go. But, um, well, speaking of movies that might only win one Oscar, if any, um, I did visual effects and I just feel like Avatar The Way of Water is the slam dunk pick there. But it's a Best Picture nominee that's really unlikely to win anywhere else. It didn't get as many nominations as maybe we would have thought it was, as many as the uh, original did. But I don't know how anything else wins in this category. Better win here. (laughs) (laughs) It's just, it's just superior. Yeah. It is. Yeah. I mean, there's great, like, if you look at Top Gun Maverick and, you know, think of how they put together these, like, very technical, real flying sequences, but, you know, you know, there's digital work that has to be done to make it all stitch together. Like, the fact that it's so seamless is a huge accomplishment. But they didn't make a whole dang planet, you know? (laughs) It's a a different scale. I think there's, there would be reason to be like, okay, is this weirdly a place where All Quiet wins? Because 1917, a more sort of low-to-the-ground war movie, did Mm. win this category over, you know, Marvel and other things. But 1917 had the sort of very advertised trick of the fake continuous take, right? Like, and and that's not something that All Quiet is, is trying to boast and then on the other side of the equation, in 2016, The Jungle Book, which was all motion caps, whatever whatever we call it, CGI stuff, kind of the way that Avatar is, that also won. So, like, there is an appreciation for that craft as recently as, you know, seven years ago or whatever. So, yeah, I think Avatar probably is there. But the 1917 thing does give me some pause about maybe there being a more sort of analog-ish choice here. Yep. If All Quiet wins visual effects early in the night, then I think many of these crafts categories we're talking about may tip that direction as well. Um, Well, then that brings us to makeup and hairstyling, another place where All Quiet on the Western Front is nominated. And we're not predicting it to win. Uh, Rebecca, you took that one on. Yeah, I thought this was interesting because in my mind, it ends up being very similar to the lead actor race we'll talk about later. It's it's a a face-off between The Whale and Elvis. Um, You know, obviously The Whale has those that incredible prosthetic work to 
transform Brendan Fraser. And Elvis makes uh, Austin Butler so much into Elvis that he couldn't stop. So um, <laughs> to me, it's and there is a pattern of, um, you know, these sort of um, parallels between lead actor. You look at uh, Darkest Hour with Gary Oldman or Matthew McConaughey and Dallas Buyers Club, where the hair and makeup and the lead actor both win. So I ended up deciding on Elvis. It, it won two awards at Makeup and Hair Stylist Guild Awards recently. Um, that that award show does give out a lot of awards. So The Whale also won one. But it just, when I'm looking at which film the Academy adored its Elvis. And so to me, that was sort of the tipping point for my choice. Yeah. I think a lot of the design uh, look categories, visual categories, uh, tend to get bunched together um, when it's possible. And Elvis is a good example of a movie that is nominated in all of them very deservedly, very obviously, I think, um, because they are recreating an icon. Um, And we saw just last year, Tammy Faye winning this category Mm -hmm. and Jessica Chastain winning Best Actress. So yeah, you're dead on there, Rebecca. In the 2003 Oscars, uh, you know, Frida, this is one of the categories that Frida won. Right. Um, alongside Best Score. And I think Score was kind of a surprise that year. But, like, that movie had esteem among the Academy in a way that The Whale doesn't. And so, like, if there was going to be an outlier winner, which I feel like The Whale would be here, I just don't think... I don't think there's evidence of that there, the way there is for Elvis or, you know, whatever. But I think, I don't know, there could be a surprise here, but I, I don't see it happening in terms of Elvis losing. Well, maybe we should then leave together uh, costume design and production design because uh, Catherine Martin is nominated for Elvis in both. She has a team with production design. Um, and David, you and I both took these on and I pointed out writing up costume, predicting her to win is that she's been nominated in both of these categories two times before. Both times she won both Oscars. That is a pretty impressive <laughs> track record. Um I, I wonder what you think. I feel like everything, everywhere, all at once could be the real spoiler in the costumes category. Um, Shirley Carada won from the Costume Designers Guild, but like these other girls we're talking about, there are multiple awards. So Elvis also won. Um, that could be a real test of how strong that sweep is going to be. Like if you see Shirley Carada win, which would be very exciting. She's, you know, this is her first big movie. It's her first nomination. She did amazing work on, you know, a much smaller budget, we have to assume, than Elvis. Um, but Catherine Martin is as a force. And I assume that's what you thought, David, too, in production design. Yeah, it's a case in production design of the movie is very strong, and that tends to win out. I mean, I think it's competition there is Babylon. And when I was getting into predicting this category, I just had Babylon in my head, because honestly, I think its production design is really impressive, Mm -hmm. (laughs) and um, incredibly detailed, and uses every ounce of that budget. Like you see the money in that yeah. movie. Um, but as I got down to looking at this category, it's actually been a decade since a non best picture nominee has won this category, which was kind of surprising to me because production design often reflects, you know, very um, respected production design is often uh, movies that are bigger budget that don't always make that cut. But this category tends to narrow down to the movies that the Academy likes overall. And the last time a movie won this category without a Best Picture nomination, it was The Great Gatsby Ah. a decade ago. So they're in an even stronger position this year, that Lerman team, that Catherine Martin team, because they are Best Picture nominated and they are nominated for makeup and they are nominated for costume. Uh, So it it feels like all those elements uh, came together where I feel pretty confident it's going to win this one. It's weird that everything everywhere isn't nominated in production design when you think about it now. 
I was surprised it wasn't nominated in sound. I mean, well, it's, yeah. it got nominated in a lot of places, and yet it could have gotten in even more. Richard, do you believe in the Catherine Martin sweep again? Yeah, I could see it. People really like that movie. And I think a lot, a lot of people saw that movie. You know, I, I think there are definitely people who have stayed away from pretty much every other movie in the production design nominee lineup, you know, yep. in the Academy. Um, and I think Elvis was probably the most likely to have been watched by the most people. Um, and it does look like a lot, <laughs> you know, like there's a lot of work in there. So, yeah, I could see it. One thing I, I want to say about Avatar here is I would have thought it was a stronger player, but something happened in this particular campaign where, unlike with the first movie, maybe because it was so novel, um, the digital elements of this movie seem to obscure the production design, the cinematography in a way that I think has prevented a lot of people from actually wanting to vote for it because mm -hmm. they don't consider it on the same scale as, you know, an All Quiet on the Western Front or an Elvis, where at least you think it's all right there in front of you, even though there is digital work there as well. And I, I'm kind of bummed out by that. I think the craft on that movie is so unbelievably impressive and movie making has changed. And just because James Cameron is very open about the insane <laughs> uh, behind the scenes methods he uses to make his movies, it doesn't mean that all of these productions uh, are not engaging in some trickery, um, yeah. as people who watch screeners and things like that will tell you. Uh, it always is very apparent in Hollywood right now. Uh, and Avatar is just a little bit more obvious with it. And unfortunately, I think that's kind of ruled it out here. Yeah, there's like a behind the scenes video where you see, and I don't know, I guess this is production design where they like had someone grab like the handle on a real saddle and use that to like show someone flying one of those yeah. CBs. And like that thing is real. And the rest of it is, it's really incredible how they mix that together. It's crazy. I think you're you're both right that Elvis is going to take both of these, but I, I do I would never count Ruth Carter out. Like I do feel mm. like, of course, Wanda for Wakanda Forever did not perform like you know it, like its predecessor, but everyone knows her. Everyone talks about her. Every event I see her at, she's surrounded. Like there's just such a level of respect for her work in those films that um, it would be cool to see her win again. But um, yeah. I mean, there's you know there's also. Like the Babylon costumes are also incredible. I, it's it's interesting that I think there's a lot of stiff competition in there. Um, and I remember I was talking to Stephanie Shu about everything everywhere at once, and she worked closely with the costume designer uh, Shirley Karata, and she was saying like Shirley is so new to this; she's not really campaigning, and like to see her get nominated was so exciting. So it's I don't know; it's an interesting category. I think you're right; it's going to be Elvis in the end, but I I wouldn't like be surprised if a couple of these other names were the actual winner. Yeah, I think it's closer than production design for sure. Yeah, I think that's a good way to put it. Um, okay, Rebecca, we're gonna. Uh, you did our editing category, which, as usual, or as often as the case, is full of best picture nominees, um, and that might give a certain movie an edge in here. Yes, I um, <laughs> recently was at the Indie Spirit Awards and saw Paul Rogers, who's the editor of Everything Everywhere All at Once, win, and I was like, huh. And then I went back and was researching and realized he won at Critics' Choice and BAFTAs. And to me, it just felt like this is another category where I think people will show their love for that film. Um, Top Gun also performed well at the Eddie Awards, which are the editing awards. Um, recently, it was both Top Gun and Everything Everywhere won. So it's it's definitely a real contender to take that. I, I do feel like Sound is probably where Top Gun's going to win, but um, it's still a, a close race. But it, to me, feels like this one goes to everything everywhere. 
Did you say, huh? Because he is strikingly handsome, that Paul Rogers. <laughs> <laughs> what the hell is that about? <laughs> An editor? <laughs> I feel like the producer of everything everywhere is also strikingly handsome. I don't know what's going yeah. on on that movie. It's just all the good vibes. Everyone's just handsome. I don't know. <laughs> it's the glow up. It's the Academy glow up. Yeah, I, I completely agree with you, Rebecca. Um, this is one race where it does feel like Top Gun Maverick was expected to win it for a while, but mm-hmm. it, it just sort of fell off. And Everything Everywhere is a movie that, as they've talked about, the Daniels and um, the producers is came together in the editing room. And it really is a testament to that work uh, that it is as coherent and has the momentum uh, that it does. So uh, it's, a, it's a story well told that I think the industry has responded to. And it's been a, a while since editing and picture matched up. You I know. was just looking this mm-hmm. up. It was Argo was the last one. Yeah. Um, but I think when you look at the years post Argo, bizarre things like Hacksaw Ridge or, you know, whatever winning, um, there is this kind of tendency with Sound of Metal or Ford vs. Ferrari to pick a kind of special beloved thing that probably won't win best picture but in this case the special beloved thing probably will win best picture so kind of everyone wins in an everything everywhere victory uh one maybe final shout out to the nomination for tar in this category which is so well deserved like that is like quiet but essential editing as with many things in tar it's all like diamond sharp um so i'm glad to see it there even though i don't think it will win Um, Okay, David, talk about Mandy Walker, uh, who you interviewed uh, about her first Oscar nomination for Elvis and the history that we think she might make in Best Cinematography. Maybe. I I feel like this category is really close. I Um, said might. It's it's one of my (laughs) stress categories. Um, Well, I predicted Ari Wegner one year ago, Mm. and I think she deserved that Oscar. And I was was disappointed that she didn't win it as great looking as Dune was. Um, yeah, Mandy Walker's the third female nominee in this category ever. Woman has never won it. She just became the first woman to win American Society of Cinematographers, the Cinematography Guild. So that in and of itself is a huge hurdle overcome. Uh, but All Quiet on the Western Front was not nominated there, as it was not nominated with many guilds, I think because that campaign took a while to ramp up and certain guilds just didn't get around to it in time. I, I don't think we can read too much into it not being nominated there. Um, and I think when we talk about this movie, which is nominated nine times, which won a boatload of BAFTAs, we need to ask where its elements are most obviously honorable or worthy. And I think cinematography is one of those places. It it is the the quality of the camera work is very in your face. It's very visceral. This category tends to go to war movies. We, 1917 has come up a few times uh, already today. And I think it, there's reason to believe that it could follow that path to some extent. But Mandy Walker is an Academy governor, uh, and she's been working in this industry for a long time. And I do think that differentiates her somewhat from an Ari Wagner, who that year had Zola and was just this like really exciting rising star in that field. Whereas Mandy Walker, you know, she did Baz Luhrmann's Australia. She's done other big movies. She's done well-regarded indie. She did like Shattered Glass. Um, and this is a real achievement for her. Uh, she's also told her story very well. She has talked about the fact that she came into this movie with the experience that she had allowed her to kind of have a lot of fun and, uh, be more spontaneous with the camera and be more spontaneous with what she was capturing. The way she researched 
uh, Elvis's iconic concerts and, um, you know, settings is just, and the way she thought about and planned filming them is really, it's very evident in the final film. And I think that really helps her here. Um, but I, I also don't believe that cinematography is the what immediately pops out from Elvis. Um, no slight at all, but I just think it's it's a more clearly worthy element in All Quiet in the Western Front. So I'm I'm very torn. Right now I'm predicting Mandy Walker. I think there is that contingent of the Academy that is aware of making history and aware that this would be a worthy winner, but they didn't do it last year, so I'm, <laughs> I'm hesitant. I think there's also the metric of in the last 10 years, the BAFTA for cinematography and the Oscar have only not matched once. Mm. Uh, when when Mank won the Oscar um, and Nomadland won the BAFTA. And I think because All Quiet won the BAFTA, I would predict that to win. Yep. I think that's fair. You're right. As I say, as I say, I'm predicting Mandy Walker. That also sounds completely right to me. The one other (laughs) weird dynamic of this category is it's very branch driven uh, in terms of the nominations list. Like you have Roger Deakins and Darius Kanji here for Empire of Light and Bardo two movies that are going to get very, very little support from the whole Academy voting in this category. Like, it's it's a real sh- contrast. Um, it's like the Andrea Riseborough of, <laughs> of, this, ca- of this category. Um, and even Tar, which I think is a great nominee here, I think that that was the branch going out on a limb a little bit uh, to recognize uh, Florian Hoffmeister's work. Uh, it just feels like it's going to be so top-heavy between those two movies which I do think could help Elvis. Um, and that was my other thought on predicting it is, Katie, I think you said a few weeks ago, like this just feels like the kind of movie that's going to win a bunch of Oscars. And I think in a field where there's not a ton of competition, just one big competitor, that helps it a little bit. Mm-hmm. But we'll see. Yeah, I hope you're I hope you're right, David. But I feel like your, your selection has a lot of hope. But I, I mean, <laughs> when, I, when, I, when I saw All Quiet... Obviously, the first thing I thought was the cinematography is incredible. And we know that a lot of people have seen it or at least wanted to vote for it. So Mm -hmm. I I think I would probably pick All Quiet just because I do feel like whenever there is – this is going to be a real downer, but whenever there, often when there is a chance to make history, it is not made when it comes to voting. Oh, no. So I just – A preview of our Best Actress conversation to come. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Yeah, I think – I – I mean, it would be so cool if she wins. I'm, I'm, I'm hopeful, but if I was, if I was doing this category, I would have gone all quiet. I think. My hope, Katie, tie it up. Well, you know, my hope lies in that with Power of the Dog, they really seemed eager not to give it any Oscars, which I think, yes. you know, was part of the Netflix effect and many other factors. And I think, as we've discussed, and with Elvis, like I think there is a lot of love for that movie. I think there is a desire to kind of shower with things. So if you're a voter who's already voted for Elvis in sound and production design, and then you have heard that Mandy Walker would be the first woman to win, like I think that would feel like a tipping point more than a like, you can't tell me what to do, which I I think is what happens with a lot of those like, history-making potential wins. So I'm going to stick with David on Mandy Walker. Let's have hope. We're split. We're split. Well, hang on for original song, because that's my stress category. <laughs> um, it feels weirdly to me a lot like supporting actress, where there's just all these different camps of support you can imagine and no clear 
sense of momentum, like even less so than in, you know, supporting actress, where really there just hasn't been that many wins for any of these. Like RRR won at the Golden Globes um, for Natu Natu. And that is what I wound up predicting. I mean, that movie has been a sensation. That song is really central to the movie. And as I wrote in our predictions, like you think of things like Falling Slowly from Once or Hard Out Here for a Pimp from Hustle and Flow, uh, like songs that are really key in the movie have an edge over things like the Rihanna song from What Kind of Forever or even Hold My Hand from Top Gun, which is more integrated into the story than some of these other ones. Um, And like, I'm not I don't even think you should rule out the song from everything everywhere all at once. Like, it's a Uh very low key song for that movie. But like lacking a strong front runner, like could people just check the box for the movie that they really love? David Byrne has an Oscar already. Um, You know, I don't know why people wouldn't want to vote for him. Uh, I, you know, I went with RRR, but with with no sense of conviction, because I really feel like I don't know what's going to happen here. Yeah, um, I think it's RRR. I, I agree with you. That's what I would predict. The everything everywhere comparison here for me is uh, Judas and the Black Messiah, which mm. won a few years ago. And it was a movie that really surged uh, at the end. It got a lot more nominations than people were expecting. Kaluuya became such a lock by the end there. Um, and, and her also won for her song, which I don't think many talked about or was very it was a weird field to be fair (laughs) it it was it was but i think that that's sort of how you have to think of why everything ever would win Uh, it's Mm -hmm. not you know i don't think her her won because she's her i think (laughs) she won because of the movie and i think this would be a similar case yeah, I feel pretty sure it's not too, not too. I don't. Okay, maybe, good. I, I, haven't, I haven't done. <laughs> I do. I do too. I, do. I okay. haven't done a deep dive like you had to for this category, Katie. So maybe that's why. But it just feels like people want to give this movie an award, and it didn't get the nominations anywhere else, and it obviously wasn't eligible for international feature. And it just feels like that song just makes people go crazy. So to me, it feels like that's a lock, despite you know, the big names behind some of these other uh, other songs. I'm glad to hear it. Richard, what do you think? I mean, I think it certainly helps that Natu Natu is, I'm not using this word right, diegetic to the movie. Like, it's performed in the film, mm-hmm. right? Like, by the actors. And so I think that, like, lifts it up a considerable bit above its competitors. Um, I also think there's going to be sniffiness about another Gaga win, a sort of inherent maybe racial, but certainly pop star bias or R&B bias against Rihanna. Um, Diane Warren just will never, I mean, that's never going to happen, I don't think. Um, And then, yeah, and then you have the Everything Everywhere, which, like, I guess if people see it on the ballot, they say, I like the movie, so I'll vote for this song that I don't really remember, you know. But I think Natu Natu is central to that film, in a way, and it's already won. People have heard about it winning other things, and so they're just going to kind of pick that because it, it seems like the one to pick like it. I mean, if it doesn't win, it's going to be like that time that Lady Gaga had that performance at the Oscars and then didn't win. And everyone's like, what happened? Uh, Like if they had all voted in the last five minutes, because that performance is going to be amazing. I'm Alex Schwartz. I'm Nomi Fry. I'm Vincent Cunningham. And this is Critics at Large, a New Yorker podcast for the culturally curious. Each week, we're going to talk about a big idea that's showing up across the cultural landscape, and we'll trace it through all the mediums we love. Books, movies, television, music, art. And I always want to talk about celebrity gossip, too. Of course. What are you guys excited to cover in the next few months? There's a new translation of The Iliad that's coming out, Emily Wilson. Really excited to see 
Whether I can read the Iliad again, whether I'm that literate, I'm, I mean, the jury is out. I can't wait to hear Adam Driver go again at an Italian accent in Michael Mann's Ferrari. <laughs> he can't stop. I mean, and, and bless him. I can't wait. Molto bene. Molto bene. <laughs> <laughs> we hope you'll join us for new episodes each Thursday. Follow Critics at Large today, wherever you get podcasts. You really don't want to miss this. Don't. Don't miss this. Don't miss it. See you soon. <laughs> Apple Card is the perfect cashback rewards credit card. You earn up to 3% daily cash on every purchase every day. That's 3% on your favorite products at Apple, 2% on all other Apple Card with Apple Pay purchases, and 1% on anything you buy with your titanium Apple Card or virtual card number. Visit apple.co slash card calculator to see how much you can earn. Apple Card issued by Goldman Sachs Bank USA, Salt Lake City Branch. Subject to credit approval. Terms apply. Um, okay, Rebecca, let's go to original score where uh, you did. Uh, we went for All Quiet on the Western Front for once when we keep saying it's going to lose in all these other categories. I did. I really sat with this because I I feel like the Babylon score is so strong, even though that movie did not uh, was not received with open arms. But, you know, Justin Hurwitz won for La La Land. Um, and then we also have like John Williams, who's won five times and Carter Burwell, who's been nominated twice before. Like these are huge people in, in what, you know, huge composers. And 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 so I was like, would they? I, I I don't know what voters are going to do, but I just, I feel like All Quiet won, obviously, score at the BAFTAs, because won everything at the BAFTAs. Um, Babylon did win at the Globes, but it just feels like um, this is a place where All Quiet will benefit from the sort of widespread love it seems to have. And I've heard people talk about the All Quiet score as something discordant and interesting and different from your typical swelling war movie score mm-hmm, you know mm-hmm. people have noticed it in yep. a way that maybe score maybe part of the job of score is to be noticed or it's to be kind of just sort of the undertone of the film that you're not paying direct attention to um so i think you know that could work for all quiet i think justin Hurwitz, that babylon that's very much drawing attention to itself but maybe almost in the negative that you get sick of it by the end or at least i did um, well, there's a lot. I mean, that movie exhausts you on purpose almost <laughs> by the end of it. Yes, yes, correctly. Well, it, it, in in that at least it succeeds. Um, uh, but yeah, so I don't know. I I, I think that. I, but there's so much affection for Hurwitz in yeah, the industry. Is. It really is. So that's a, that's a really tricky one, and also score can be weirdly hard to predict. Um, I would go right now with Babylon, but who knows. Horowitz has also only ever worked with Damien Chazelle, like unlike, say, Carter Burwell, who's just worked absolutely everywhere. Um, So you wonder, like, people can have a lot of admiration for him, but it's not like he's like the most well-connected person in the bunch. I I wonder if that has an effect. That's a good point. He did win the Globe. He had a stage moment, Mm -hmm. um, which probably shouldn't be discounted. Um, But I I agree with Rebecca. This feels like the clearest win for All Quiet outside of international feature. it's just, to your Richard's point, you just hear people talking about it. And you don't often hear people talking about a score, uh, especially for a war movie. So I think just the visibility alone indicates it has support. 
Um, all right, let's go to documentary feature, which, David, you told me a while ago that you felt like Navalny was pulling ahead, which kind of surprised me because I had just paid so much attention to all the festival buzz around all the media and the bloodshed. But uh, as you pointed out in our predictions, like it's it's been cleaning up lately. It kind of surprised me, too. Um, but it, it makes sense as a consensus choice, assuming enough people have seen it. Uh, the movie premiered at Sundance. Um, and was well-received. I don't think it was as well-received as some of the other nominees on this list. Um, But it's, you know, it has that timely factor. It is a portrait of the Russian opposition leader and what happened to him. And uh, amid the war in Ukraine and ongoing tensions with Russia, it it just has, it it hits that um, sweet spot of what people look for to honor in this category a lot of the time, which is a movie that feels very current uh, and relevant. The PGA gave it, the award and they signaled the shifting tides for my octopus teacher very Mm. notably. So they've, they've tipped this category in the past uh, and BAFTA also gave it to this movie. Um, So you have a few different pockets from the industry indicating they like this movie. Um, The DGA went with fire of love, which I, I love that movie. Um, To me, that makes sense as a director's choice though, because it is so innovatively done. Um, I, I just don't know if that's going to carry as much weight with a full Academy, though it certainly might. Um, and all the beauty in the bloodshed is probably the wild card where you could see the Academy going for it in a way that these industry groups haven't, because it is a little bit artier and thornier. Um, Nan Golden got a ton of applause at the Oscar nominees luncheon. I remember logging that um, before the movie started losing <laughs> all these precursors. Um, but it did win Venice completely over a bunch of narrative features. So it has proven it can win. Um, so it could go in a few white directions. I think interesting you look at Laura Poitras's past win for Citizen Four, um, which was a very urgent political you are there kind of documentary. So is Navalny. You know, mm-hmm. and and I think that Navalny's kind of a thriller. And if you watch that movie and you see this these scenes of him getting this official on the phone and admitting to this corruption, or not official, but sort of, you know, apparatchik of an official. If you don't know that, that that news had already been reported, like that audio had already been out for months when the movie came out, you think, oh my God, this filmmaker got this crazy exclusive, you know? Mm-hmm. And, and so it really sells itself as a real life political thriller. And so I think that counts for a lot, much in the same way it did for Citizen Four. So I would predict Navalny. Yeah, I think I'd, I'd agree. I, I mean, um, all the beauty and the bloodshed just won at Indie Spirit. So it's sort of top of mind for me because I was just there, but uh, it was not competing against Navalny um, or Fire of Love. So I, I would go Navalny too. I do wonder about Fire of Love. I feel like a lot of people are talking about it when I'm just out and about and that they've mm-hmm. seen it and enjoyed it. So the word of mouth on that one feels pretty strong. Um, but I think for all the reasons you guys have said, it'll go Navalny. I would say this potential spoiler, weirdly enough, is House Made of Splinters. So I mean, talk because about timely. That came out of nowhere for me. I was not aware yeah. of it at all. And all of a sudden it was on the shortlist and then it was nominated and it's about Ukraine. And I don't know, it has a catchy title. I could see people kind of hearing about what it's about and checking it out and then putting it, voting for it out of some sort, you know, a broader political um, solidarity. And not to be sort of too um, mathy <laughs> about this race, but does that hurt Navalny? that this movie did break late. I don't think Navalny, it was nominated against Navalny in any of these other places. So presumably some of those current relevant votes, it could peel off away from Navalny toward House Made of Splinters, which may help 
a movie like Fire of Love or Beauty and the Bloodshed. So, yeah, it's pretty wide open. Hopefully Oscar Ritter's more courageous than I who heard the description of Housemaid of Splinters and said, I cannot. I cannot watch this. I feel bad about it, but I, I don't have the, the courage. Um, but apparently it's very good. So it would be a worthy winner as well. Also, did you know the director of Navalny is 30 years old? <sighs> so actually we can't. He, that can't win. <sighs> Why do you have to bring these things up, Richard? <laughs> <laughs> Um, okay, so I handled animated feature, which felt pretty simple to me. There's good competition in here. Uh, Puss in Boots is kind of this huge box office smash. Turning Red is this uh, well-loved Pixar movie. And Marcel the Shell kind of keeps trucking along. We ran an op-ed by Goldie Hawn last week about how much she loved Marcel the Shell, which I'm thrilled by. Um, but Guillermo del Toro's Pinocchio kind of just keeps winning. And it's a huge accomplishment. And it's got a great story behind it. And it's got Guillermo del Toro behind it, who could win his third Oscar here. Um, it's a big win for Netflix, too. You know, we're we're talking about other places where All Quiet can win, but you know they had backed this one from the very beginning, whereas All Quiet kind of snuck up on them. And um, you know, I think they'll they'll have earned this win here. Yeah, it's such a strong film, and it is, I think, Netflix's only lock to to win that we're like a hundred percent sure about in this very unusual year. But it, it's such a good year for animation. I mean, when you look at Marcel and Turning Red, it's it's. There are other films that I feel like we would have been happy with the win, but it, it feels like a, a pretty solid lock here. Also, I, I want to quote another Oscar expert who I heard on another podcast. Uh, Katie, I believe one of your children was on Blank Check recently <laughs> going through his favorite movies of the year. Um, and he said of, of Pinocchio, with some, of, some prompting from you, I'll admit, Katie, um, <laughs> that Pinocchio is scary in a good way. Yeah. <laughs> and I think that counts for a lot because we don't see stuff like that as much as we used to in The Nightmare Before Christmas or all the creepy 80s kids movies that came out. Like Pinocchio does feel distinctly of a filmmaker the Academy loves. And it has his name right there in the title. So yeah. um, not only is it does it feel like a total lock to win, I think it's a, a good I, I like I like that it will win because yeah. it's, it's different. Yeah, I think it's also one movie that has had. Um, a great story to tell in terms of its a its value beyond the animated feature race, and Guillermo del Toro has been a real champion for that. I wish it were recognized in places like production design, you know, similar to the Avatar problem, I think, or even adapted screenplay. Um, sadly, it was only nominated here, but I do think its dominance in this race can partly be attributed to the fact that a case has been made for its value as a film um, in a lot of different areas. Is it now safe to say that we're glad it wasn't nominated in original song where it was competing for a while for a uh, an earworm in the bad way? <laughs> well, there's many great elements about that movie, but... Uh... Thoughts, Rebecca Ford? <laughs> I have no comment on the song from Tokyo, but uh, I'm happy to see it win here. Yes, there we go. Ciao to ciao, Papa. <laughs> um, Rebecca, speaking of Netflix's uh, locked-in wins, here's another one in Best International Feature. Um, here you go, All Quiet on the Western Front. Yes, I feel like this one, you know, as we saw with Parasite or Drive My Car, the films that are, are nominated elsewhere um, win this category. And, uh, you know, each of these films has had some success uh, throughout the season. You know, I think um, we look at Close and which won uh, an award at Cannes and EO won the New York Film Critics Prize. Um, and so there was a time where I thought EO and Close um had a good chance for this category, but it's just so obvious because El Quiet goes into this with nine Oscar nominations that this is the place that it's definitely going to win. Okay. Best Adapted Screenplay. 
Oh, another stress this is my, category. This is my, it hurts. <laughs> we Thank get you for claiming this. We one. get too invested, and then we get to this point where we have to pick who will win, and not like we get to pick. We just make a prediction. Um, okay, so I, I wrote this up for our predictions. I ruled out uh, Glass Onion and Top Gun the sequels, which I think are well deserved nominees, but probably not likely winners. And you know, I think in another world, Katsu Ishiguro could have had a strong Oscar campaign for Living. He's a Nobel Prize winner and a beloved novelist, and wrote a very beautiful screenplay for a movie that has a Best Actor nomination. Um, but it doesn't seem like it's happening. It seems like it's down to all quiet on the Western Front again, and women talking. Um, the subject of our Phase One cover, uh, David. You've talked to Sarah Polly many times throughout the season, and we kind of keep marveling at how she's just like stayed cool throughout all of this and seems like just as happy like to go back to Toronto and like hang out with her kids as to go through all of this madness. Um, I'm really rooting for her to win here. I think Women Talking's journey through awards season has been complex. Um, it is nominated in Best Picture, but that's the only other nomination it got. Um, Sarah Polly did win the WGA, which does count for a lot, but All Quiet was not nominated. And the thing that I just came down to is Sarah Polly has a narrative. People know who she is, even if like women talking is not their thing, even if they're Mark Wahlberg. I don't remember the title. And All Quiet on the Western Front has a lot of fans. But as an adaptation, I just don't see the like, yes, the script. That is the thing that we must celebrate about this movie. And I think it's a good script and there's a lot of power to it. But it might be wishful thinking again, but I just... I, I feel a pull to vote for Sarah Polly that is not there for All Quiet, and I I wonder and maybe hope that that will win out. Mm, yeah. <laughs> you did you you did what I could not. Oh, I mean, I, I this is that one where I, I just could not hope, Dick, because I I really want it to happen. <laughs> We're supposed to be professional here, but this is one that I'm really I'm really hoping for. I think she did an extraordinary job with the script and I'm very biased. I've talked to her a lot about it. I know the work that went into it uh, and I know her perspective on it and why it's really valuable. Um, my hesitation is, first of all, as you alluded to, Katie, the trajectory of this movie in award season has been bumpy, to say the least. Uh, it has met industry resistance for sure. It is a Best Picture nominee, which counts for a lot. It did get in with the SAG um, nominating committee for Ensemble, which says a lot. Um, the support, there is support. But All Quiet on the Western Front, it's the adaptation of a really seminal book, number one. Number two, the movie was so much more embraced, and oftentimes in screenplay, we see correlation with Best Picture is similar to how I was talking about production design, where you can see a lot of votes just for the movie that voters like the most, mm. um, which I think we can talk about with original screenplay in a little bit. Um, well, this is like the Belfast versus Licorice Pizza thing, right? Exactly. And Belfast was just the stronger contender, even though all the dominoes had lined up for uh, Paul Thomas Anderson to finally win that Oscar. Yeah. And he didn't. Um, he may have even been in third because Don't Look Up beat it at WGA. Also, I will. Uh, All Quiet was not eligible with WGA, yeah. um, and really they have not gone head to head. I believe in, with it with a significant group. I don't think Critics Choice nominated it. Uh, All Quiet that is. BAFTA did not nominate Women Talking. So it's a bit of an unknown, but I hope. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like All Quiet would be. One of the only, if kind of the only, completely non-English language movie to win this category, right? Like, The Last Emperor did. There are a couple others way in the past that were sort of somewhat not in English, but 
that might be something. The fact that Sarah Pauly is a celebrity in her own right might count for something. I'm kind of hope predicting here in that Pauly will win. Um, and I don't see why not. Like, yeah. you want to be right, but if it does feel this close, like, go with what you hope, I think. You know, yeah. and I, I just think she's charming. She survived a ridiculous Twitter controversy <laughs> with quiet grace um, that was just so insane. Um, you know, I, I, I think that they like this movie enough to nominate for Best Picture. So, like, yeah. if we figure, okay, the supporting actresses got canceled to each other out, maybe they would have shown up had the something different happened or whatever. Someone had more clearly campaigned, you know. Um, I don't know. I think maybe there's more affection for that movie than it seems just from the, you know, the sole two nominations. So... I'm tentatively predicting her just because it would be un- pretty much unprecedented for a German language or any f- non-English language film to win here. I feel like we're all just a little unsteady because that yes. campaign did not go the way we saw it going when we all saw this film. Mm-hmm. And it's hard to believe we might be right on this one, but I, I feel pretty good about Sarah Polly winning this. I mean, she's been out and about. She is beloved. She has been doing this whole thing with grace and humor. And yeah, I think you're right. The hurdles are bigger for All Quiet to win this category than they are for women talking. I like it. So the women talking beat the boys fighting. I'm, that's, that's what I hope. <laughs> yes. <laughs> the women are well, still talking. Yes. And yeah. For all that we have stressed about this movie's campaign for the past few months, it would be kind of the end result that we had predicted in... September, (laughs) which is it being a Best Picture nominee that probably wins screenplay. I mean, that was what I said when I saw that movie, was it's winning screenplay. I thought Jessie Buckley would probably be a strong sporting actress contender. That didn't happen. But other than that, uh, it's a happy ending for what was a tumultuous journey to get there, if so. And again, I feel like we are more stressed about this than Sarah Polly is, which is one of her many excellent characteristics, and I'm happy for her, and I hope it stays that way. What a, what a, what a delightful campaign, yeah. in spite of it all. Yeah. Um, all right, David, original screenplay, um, which I don't know if you have as much personal stress about, but does feel strange in many ways. Well, this is a clearer example of the way that people vote on this category. Like, I think Martin McDonough, if the screenplay writing branch for voting on this category, I think he would win his first Oscar for a feature-length film. Like, that, to me, seems pretty clear. The movie was really widely nominated. He's such an iconic, really, writer and playwright, uh, and this is his best-received movie to date. So all those line up for me. But it just hasn't found the amount of love that Everything Everywhere All at Once has. And that, in its own right, is an incredibly original movie. Um, And in the same way that Coda as it found more and more momentum, kind of locked up adapted screenplay over strong contenders like Power of the Dog and The Lost Daughter. Um, I just would be very surprised if all these voters that were expecting to check off everything everywhere for picture do not check it off for screenplay. That doesn't quite match up with how the Academy has gone of late. So that's... That's where I see this heading. I mean, it's a strong category. I'm a fan of Triangle of Sadness, and I think Ruben Usland is a really, you know, inspired nominee here. Uh, Todd Field's Tar screenplay is my personal favorite. It's a masterful movie, um, and I'm glad he's here. I just don't think he was ever going to win here. Um, And The Fablemans is also a good screenplay for whatever whatever, uh, apathy that movie has encountered. Um, Yeah. 
Do we all still feel like? Do we all feel like it's everything everywhere? I'm I'm with it. As much as I root for Tony Kushner to finally get an Oscar, and I don't know what it will take. Um, and as much as I thought Martin McDonough was just going to walk away with this, it just feels very hard to argue with this as a as a place for that everything everywhere all at once sweep. I mean, think about this late in the night; it's going to start getting handed out, and I think you're going to see it win here and then a lot of other places. People it like is. to give th- this award to something exciting recently. Emerald Fennel, you know, uh, Jordan Peele, whatever. And it just so happens that the quote, like, new exciting thing is also the best picture front runner. Yeah. Um, so I, but I, and I don't think, I think that McDonough, for who has only made a handful of movies, like, I, I think he's kind of more institutional now in a way. And so I, I think that that, that hampers him um, the same way it does uh, at least two other people in the category. Yeah. I think that's right for this category. And it, it just, yeah, I feel. I mean, God, this category is so incredible. I wish these films had been spread out over other years. I know almost, because it feels there like so many of them are deserving to win for their screenplays, but it it does feel like it, and and they won at um, Indie Spirits just this past weekend, and they were up against um, Tar, and it just feels like yeah, it's another place they'll win. One thing I would say is because below the line, it's it's a real question. Everything ever is a bit a real question mark in most of the categories it's nominated in. If it loses here, um, that is the signal that the that that concern about you know is the Academy as in love with this movie as these other groups like this would be the signal that they're not because the the reason it wins here is because the Academy really loves it. Um, whereas Martin McDonough wins here, I think because people sort of go out on a limb for him a little bit. Mm. Um, okay, this brings us to his best supporting actress. The source Let's of Rebecca's. Just skip it. <laughs> no, no. Let's just skip it. <laughs> Someone uh, will if, win. That's my prediction. If we're wrong, we're just going to erase this part of the podcast so that it's not mm-hmm. on the record. That uh, just assume that we were right about whoever it was. Um, I mean, Rebecca, <laughs> It'll just it was... be Brett saying the winner's name. <laughs> <laughs> no one will ever notice. Yeah. Um, Rebecca, it was very much unfair to make you write this category. Um, but I think that we can acknowledge here and in your write up that like it is so hard to predict who will win. And I, I feel very strongly that whoever does win will do so by like 50 votes. Um so, Rebecca, how did you work this out? Well, I think this one was hard because we kind of thought we had this figured out for most of the season. Mm-hmm. And that is where I have the hardest time is like all the tea leaves were pointing to Angela Bassett early on, you know, both for her work in Wakanda Forever and for just sort of to honor her career. Um, and, you know, the fact that she didn't win the last time she was nominated and, and she is deserving. She gives amazing speeches. She's so inspiring. And I was like, done, let's just call it. But then things got weird. Um, Carrie Condon won at BAFTA. And then when Jamie Lee Curtis won at SAG Awards, I think was the moment where I've realized this, um, that Angela's momentum had sort of waned. Um, I went with Jamie Lee Curtis. I... I, I realized that SAG Awards has matched the winner of this category every year since 2010, except once when Emily Blunt won SAG and Regina King took the Oscar. And and that might be because this category is often um, has a clear frontrunner pretty early. Like, it's not one of the categories that I feel like we're often struggling with to predict. Yeah. Um, but I just feel like Curtis is beloved... The movie is beloved. She is very much beloved. And she has been every charming the pants off everybody with her like unofficial cheerleader status for this movie. Um, so I, th- I think it goes to her. But again, happy to be wrong. Could be Carrie Condon. 
Could be Angela Bassett. Wouldn't be surprised if it's either of them. So that's what I did. <laughs> <laughs> Correct me if I'm wrong, but it, it felt like with Jamie Lee Curtis's campaign that it really ramped up in phase two. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like I, I think a lot of what she did for the movie in phase one was with the cast mm-hmm. and it was not as centered on her, but including on this very podcast, Jamie Lee Curtis did a lot of interviews after that Oscar nomination and she did, she was great. <laughs> you, I have no notes. And yeah. I think that really helped her. I think she ran a really strong phase two campaign. And I, I don't know that Bassett, um, could have competed with that just given the love for the movie. Um, For me, the real problem with predicting Jamie Lee Curtis is if, and I love Jamie Lee Curtis. I think she gives a good performance in the movie, but I'm sitting down and I'm, I have this ballot in front of me. There's just no way I would vote for her. Mm. (laughs) And that's just, that's, that's just my, that is my truth. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, but I, I, it's rooted in the fact that it's just not the performance of this category. And um, I think that logic does have it that she's the odds on favorite at this point. But that's what prevents me from picking her. It's just the fact of who she's up against. Well, it was such a tricky thing for a while because, like, when we first started talking about who could, you know, this as an Oscar contender, we were like, what if Jamie Lee Curtis gets the legacy win and she's the only actor from this movie who wins an Oscar? And, like, the having, like, the white actress in this cast being, like, publicly pushed, I think, was really sensitive. And I think, I imagine that's why she kind of stayed quiet in phase one to really put the emphasis on the ensemble. And she's continued to do that. Like, she led the cheer of Michelle Yeoh's name at the SAG Awards. Like, she is very much supporting the ensemble as a whole. Um, and I think now that, like, we'll get a supporting actor, that it's clear that other actors in this movie can win, um, it's kind of cleared more of a path for people to to vote for her. If I could be really cynical, you could Please. read some of that <laughs> cheerleading for her castmates as campaigning for herself. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, look how sure. magnanimous I am, you know, um, vote for me. I think I, I would predict Jamie Lee Curtis here, too, which I think of the five nominated, I think she... I think the other ones are more deserving, frankly, for their performances alone. But um, I think that there is a the dimmest of possibilities, because she keeps mentioning it, that a New York Magazine article will be responsible for Jamie Lee Curtis winning an Oscar because a bunch of people in the Academy who have kids who work in the industry and they don't want to feel like they're participating in some bad, unfair system mm. will say, you know what? Yeah, yeah, Nepo baby, who cares? Jamie Lee Curtis, here's your Oscar. You know, I mean, that's crazy to say. I mean, it's probably not affecting any. I mean, it's probably maybe 10 people voting for the Oscars. I have even thought about that. But like, I think there's this weird momentum for her of this defiance, this sort of like, I yes, I'm difficult and I'm loud, but like, whatever, I'm part of I'm I'm I've I'm born of this industry. I represent you. You know, um, I am the cheerleader, not just for this movie, but for the profession and 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 Hollywood. And um, I think that's a very, very strong narrative that, you know, giving to Angela Bassett, uh, who is deserving for a huge body of work, um, in some ways acknowledges the failures of an industry, whereas Jamie Lee Curtis is highlighting the successes of it. And I think maybe that's the narrative people are looking for is the latter one. So da- wait, so Richard picks Curtis. What, David, did you say who you pick? Who you'd pick? Mm, um, <laughs> we all have to do it. <laughs> I think I would... Go a little while and predict Carrie Con. I was just going to say the same thing. Cause, okay, so Richard, you're talking about your Nepo baby thing. Like, this is where I start thinking about the international makeup of the Oscars. And we'll talk about this when we get to Best Actor, too. Like, 
Absolutely, there are people who have raised their Hollywood Nepo babies who are voting for the Oscars. But the Academy is huge. And I don't know if that story plays with the Academy as a whole as much as it does at SAG. Um, And the argument for Carrie Condon is that she won the BAFTA. Of course, you've got the Tilda Swinton precedent from 2007. Not that that really means anything. But in a divided field, in Jamie Lee Curtis still competing against Stephanie Hsu. I think we all, you know, know that she's a first-time nominee. She's younger. Like, it's not as strong a narrative. But, like, there, that is a vote splitting. Um, then Carrie Condon is the one chance to give anything to Banshees. Yeah, that's true. That That's sort of a Mark Rylance win. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. She is a long-respected actor across the pond who has never had a film role like this before. And she's worked in, in TV in Hollywood for a long time, so she knows people there, too. Yep. She knows people. She kind of runs away with the movie in her scenes. She's just so dynamic and fun to watch and has that incredible speech. Uh, and, I, you know, if, if this category is as splintered as we say, and she won BAFTA, and we know BAFTA and the British bloc, European bloc, has a lot of love for Banshees, she's very clearly the best chance for the movie to win because it's. I think it's an easier vote for her than in other areas. Um, so I think... She doesn't win with a majority. She wins with a plurality. That's yeah, what I'm telling I don't myself. think anybody can win with a majority, right? Right. Yeah, and I, I do, I mean, I think Stephanie Hsu and Hong Chow deliver such incredible performances, and Stephanie's is arguably, arguably much more difficult than Jamie's. And the one thing for me is they'll be back. Like, I'm not, you know, I don't think either of them has a chance to win this year, but they'll be back. So yeah. that makes me feel better. I also think there's a real outside, but not zero chance for Stephanie Hsu. I mean, if, the, if, if it's just like 80% votes for everything everywhere all at once, and there's this surge for her, um, which is the better performance of the two in the movie, um, sure, why not? I wouldn't predict it, but that would I, be I feel... incredibly fun way to start the And that speech at the Spirit Awards, you know, yeah. voting was still happening then for the Oscars. And yeah. she, Stephanie Hsu, gave a really nice speech about how this is her first like individual win for this thing and she's been sort of a team player but this individual thing felt so nice and she i don't know like that i would be swayed by that probably consciously or not yeah it was cool to see her get that attention just for herself i mean i don't I would not predict Angela Bassett because I, I'm really running with my theory that Ant-Man came out and reminded of Oscar voters that they don't care about Marvel movies. But like, I think it's a good theory. I really <laughs> but I, do. But I also don't think it's impossible for her to win. Like, I think it right. could absolutely no, no, happen. No, it's not. No. And I have been thinking, like, you know, talking about Hong Chao and Stephanie Hsu being back, like, I think it's foolish to count on Angela Bassett getting her due because it's been many decades of her not getting her due. But, like, this coming so close, it just feels like someone would be foolish not to, like, give her a really good film role and do this again and not in a Marvel movie and sweep through. That feels so within reach. I hope so. Yeah. Counting on Hollywood to to get it together on things like that is... <laughs> it doesn't always <laughs> go great. None of us are predicting it, however. No. <laughs> well, I'm, I'm predicting Angela Bassett to have a great non-Marvel role to bring her back here. That's my, my dearest hope. We can hope. Okay, so I predicted Best Supporting Actor in an absolute shameless grab for the easiest acting category. Um, <laughs> so, you picked, so you went with Judd Hirsch? Yes, I went with Judd Hirsch, <laughs> yeah. absolutely. Um, yeah, I mean, Ki Hui Kwan has given nothing but great speeches for... I, I didn't watch his Indie Spirit speech, but I assume it was wonderful. And It was um, super cool because he thanked um, Crew by name, which was Well, he did the unusual. thing that people do when they're sweeping where they're like, oh, I've done this like six times. Who can I yeah. think new? And I guess at the Oscars, you have to kind of like 
do it all over again because it's a bigger audience. Um, but his win early in the night, we assume, because that's how these usually get handed out, will be such a, a, a boost of energy for the Oscars, I think. Yeah. I mean, the speeches thing, is, Katie, is funny because I'm um, just speaking of Mark Rylance, that whole, I feel like he'd been winning a bunch of to- Tonys and stuff for years at that point, And like every speech he gave, he would just read some weird poem and then be like, thank you and leave the stage. <laughs> and so when he won the Oscar, I was like, here we go. What are we going to get? And then it was like a totally normal. Thank you, Steven Spielberg. Thank you. <laughs> like, because you're at the Oscars, you have to like go yeah. abroad. Yeah, I think um, everybody gets a little talking to before the Oscars. <laughs> yeah, like, please not some esoteric. Thank the uh, studio. <laughs> yeah, yeah, right. Exactly. Um yeah, he'll win. He'll set a, it'll set a great tone. You know, in terms of Hollywood looking, the Academy looking toward positive narratives this year. I mean, look at this. You know, yeah. it has negative stuff in it, obviously, in the past. But like, here's a redemption arc, and it's all thanks to the the graciousness and you know, uh, open mindedness of Hollywood. So <laughs> they, let's flatter ourselves. Yeah, you have never gone wrong predicting Hollywood. Uh, congratulating <laughs> itself on how far it's come. <laughs> I mean, it's worth noting that, you know, when so Delia Kai profiled him for a phase one issue, and that's an idea I had like May of last year, like, I'll be so cool if we could like sneak him into a print issue. Like he'd be such like a long shot contender, but that'd be a real like advocacy on our part. And by the time the article ran, he was a front runner. And like that it just how unlikely it seemed for months after the movie came mm-hmm. out and what a great comeback story this is. I think we've lost that as he's become a front runner. So um what a great story. Yeah. I remember watching Coda at you know, mm. virtual Sundance and being like, God, Troy Kotzer is so good in this movie. I've never seen him before. Yeah. I'd, I'd love to see him get a campaign. Mm-hmm. And the assumption was Marley Matlin would be the face of that, you know, acting nomination for that movie. And then he became a frontrunner, yeah. too. So, so what you're saying is the hosts of this podcast have the possibility of willing a supporting actor <laughs> win into existence. So yep. take single-handedly. Take note, publicists. Yep. <laughs> get them to us early. Know that fizzy feeling you get when you read something really good, watch the movie everyone's been talking about, or catch the show the internet can't get over? At the Pop Culture Happy Hour podcast, we chase that feeling five times a week. We talk about the buzziest movies, TV, music, books, and more. From lowbrow to highbrow to in between, catch the Pop Culture Happy Hour podcast from NPR. Okay, let's get into Best Actress, which no one is stressed about at all, and everyone feels very confident about how this is going to go. <laughs> David. Can we just start with a straw poll, like, before I talk about it? Can we just each give who we're doing? Sure. <laughs> we might be more... Richard. Yeah. Um, I think Blanche is going to win. I think Michelle Yeoh is going to win. I don't want to answer. <laughs> <laughs> oh. Just say Riseborough and just, you know, whatever. <laughs> I... I think I, I literally wrote a paragraph about Michelle Yeoh, and I think Kate Blanchett's going to win. <laughs> it's not too late to change what you wrote. I might change it. I might change what I wrote. No, I, I won't. I mean, I I based this on the indie spirits, which may be incredibly foolish, but the complete sweep again for that movie. Yeah. Um, she's the face of the movie, and there has been this. Inc- there's a huge gap between the Kate Blanchett campaign, which is like, hey, I'm here, uh, and Michelle Yeoh, who is giving beautiful emotional speeches, who has this beautiful narrative, who gives a great performance, and um, who who will give you the better moment on that stage. Yeah. And mm-hmm. if this race is as close as we think, I think that could make the difference. That said, yeah, I think the... General tally, the general 
way one would expect this category to go based on how everything has gone to this point, I think says Kate Blanchett. I think that the level of performance in that movie, which you just can't discount, is so astounding um, that it could just be overwhelming um, for anybody in this race. There was a New York Times thing that I, th- I don't know if it was new or if it just resurfaced on online, but like of Todd Field like doing anatomy of a scene, basically. And it's a small scene in the movie where Tar is back at her childhood home and she's watching old Lenny Bernstein videos and cries. And it wasn't supposed to be this big emotional scene, but like in the filming of it, Kate Blanchett just like went for it. And the way that Todd Field talks about it with this kind of reverence is like, I think the way a lot of people feel about her work in general, but specifically in this movie. And there's the fact that there was definitely a possibility after Venice when everyone's like, oh my God, performance of the decade, whatever, that the rest of the movie would be received somewhat you know, a chilly reception and Blanchett mm-hmm. would be nominated because, of course, we can't, that's undeniable work, but like, we're not so sure on the movie. But that clearly is not how the Academy feels about Tar. So I think, I, I, I don't know. I think if she yeah. was like one of two nominees for that movie, I would be much more sanguine about Michelle Yeoh winning. But I, I think there's so much other support for Tar that I, I just, I don't, can't see her losing. And it's the only place Tar will win, right? So yeah, exactly. This is yeah. where we It's an it. obvious vote, it's an obvious single vote. Um, yeah, I was 60-40 Blanchett for pretty much the whole season, and I even thought Michelle had the edge at SAG. So I've, I haven't been surprised by anything in this category. I've been surprised by the amount of love for everything everywhere all mm-hmm. at once, and that's what convinced me to change my mind. Mm-hmm. Um, but Katie, why don't you give your own No, reason? that's basically it. And it, it, makes, it brings up the question for me as every year, like, is momentum real? Because I think we talk about that a lot yeah. about someone having momentum, but like... When you're coming to individual voters, I don't know how much they pay attention to that. But I think that like a dam has broken and being like, yes, it is okay to give everything everywhere all at once, all the awards you can. Like it just keeps winning everything it's up for. And the Academy may not match that exact enthusiasm. But again, like we keep talking about in these little line categories, like if they're inclined to check the boxes for this movie they love, like you have to vote for Michelle Yeoh, I think. Like, I, I understand the impulse to give something to Tar. Like, if I'm a voter, I love Tar. I love both of these movies and I want them to have something. But, you know, the power of that, the power of the potential to make history, I know we've already talked about this before, but, like, I think Michelle Yeoh has been kind of, like, quietly hopeful about it. There's been a, you know, I think, yeah. unfortunately, I think she has to be careful about it, the idea that people would feel, like, badgered into it. But, I mean, Rebecca, you pointed this out last week, the, you know, black mark on this category in history. Like, it would just be so great to to change that and to give Michelle Yeoh an incredibly well-deserved award. Maybe this is me hope predicting again, but it's not possible. I'm, I'm a hope predicting with you right there, but I... I, I... I feel like there there is value in the fact that she gave two incredible speeches the week of or before voting. Mm-hmm. And that is something people will see and remember. And you just feel that she... she feels the how big that moment is for her every time and it, it it would just be incredible to see her her win on the oscar stage uh i don't know it's 50 yeah. 50 it really is it's just impossible to to know i am of the mind that seeing all these little whispers in the past week especially of you know how real is this everything everywhere wave like not to put you know one of our fellow pundits on the spot but a lot was made of deadline predicting all quiet on the western front to win best picture not just you know Kate Blanchett winning that's a huge uh shift I think from where the conventional wisdom is that's a huge departure and so 
if you have that in your mind of it's really not that real at all, then Kate Blanchett wins this in a mm-hmm. walk. It's it's just a really open question of how much Everything Ever was going to win. I think Everything Everywhere is pretty much a lock to win Best Picture. I don't agree with that. But if it's a little weaker, then that's how Kate Blanchett wins here because there is an incredible amount of respect for that performance. Yeah. I mean, I think, Richard, last week you called hers the performance of the decade, which I agree with. And I also feel fine with it not winning an Oscar. I think she's fine with Yeah, she's fine with it, too. She should, um, lady's got two. <laughs> she knows you know, she's I, fine. I, I was tempted to kind of draw some really clumsy parallels between this particular competition and the Iron Lady versus the Help Year, um, where mm. everyone really wanted to give Viola Davis a Best Actress Oscar because she's great. They love her. Um, mm. The movie was popular. Obviously, it's become significantly less popular in the years since. And then, oh, well, here's Meryl Streep, and she already has two. The difference there was that it had been like literal decades since Meryl Streep had won, yeah. whereas Cate Blanche is only looking at one decade. And, uh, I mean, obviously, th- those movies have very different profiles than than Tar and Everything Everywhere do. Um, but I think I my tendency is to think that like when I think the Academy isn't going to go for the expected standard thing, they tend to actually go for the expected standard thing, and and this is a category where kind of like that Iron Lady win, um, it just feels like yeah we were kind of fooling ourselves this whole time like it's always been Kate Blanchett it was mm-hmm. always Meryl Streep mm-hmm. um, despite what happened at precursors it was always Jessica Chastain last year when we talked ourselves out of that well and that I I said that. For months, obviously, yeah. famously, I, I called that <laughs> infamously. So <early. laughs> infamously, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, I think that's a really good comparison that year. And the main difference is, aside from the longer gap for Meryl, the Iron Lady was a terrible movie that <laughs> even the Academy didn't like. Yeah, no, no one liked it. And Tar is very well liked, yeah. but also everything everywhere is much better liked than The Help. Yeah, yeah. But The Help was. I mean, it was a Best Picture sure. nominee. It won SAG Ensemble. It was a. It was a. It, it won a supporting Oscar. Yeah. It won a supporting Oscar. It did have a lot of support. It w- it wasn't in a sweet position the way that Everything Everywhere is. Yeah. As far as we think. <laughs> <sighs> Should we go into Best Actor where Everything Everywhere is not involved, but it's no easier <laughs> as a result? Um, David and Rebecca. I mean, we talked about this last week, uh, so we're kind of repeating ourselves. But I, I wanted in our official predictions that if we're wrong, it would need to be like we were in the room at the SAG Awards wrong, as opposed to me kind of guessing from my distance that um, the SAG Awards would not match up with the Oscars. But Rebecca, you predicted that they will. Yeah, I mean, we talked about this last week, and I, I'm sticking to my guns on on Brendan Fraser winning here. I, I I think it's really close between him and Austin Butler. Um, you know, I wish Colin Farrell was still more in the conversation. I think early on we thought he was, but at this point, I I just feel like this is not a category that rewards ingenues very often. I know we have the the Rami Malek case to look at, but. I think Frazier has done enough. Has his speeches have, you know, backed his narrative on this. And I, even though the movie is not loved, I do think they're going to give it to him. I'm sticking to my guns on Austin Butler, but I want to hear from David first. I, I feel the same way. I think Rebecca put it really well. Um, I think it's really close. I I won't be surprised if Austin Butler wins. Um, there was just a. This really, to me, was a feeling in the room. And conversations after um, around vote for the person. The Austin vote is a vote for the character, I think, in the movie. Um, 
But I, I think that this question has built over who Austin Butler is, which I don't think was there for Rami Malek, and exactly what he's going to say and kind of what he represents. The campaigning has been so slick, maybe to a fault, <laughs> uh, or maybe not. I mean, he has uh, really wedded himself to this role in a way that has been kind of ingenious and also to some kind of off-putting. The question here is how disliked is the whale? Brendan Fraser is extremely well-liked. The performance is widely admired. Is the movie that disliked? Because, you know, he won with Critics' Choice and SAG, which are two really large kind of broad voting bodies. And he lost BAFTA, which uh, I don't think can be discounted. But he's done pretty well this season. And the acting branch can tend to tip this category just because they are the largest branch, even if they are not everything. So Yeah, and, see, and seeing them support Hong, even though, again, they didn't love yes. the movie, makes me feel better about this happening for Brendan. Yeah. Richard, are you still with me on Austin Butler? I'm still on Butler. 13 of the last 20-something have been gone to biopics and Best yep. Actor. Um, it's a music biopic to boot. Um, I think they are very much voting for the real person and the movie. I don't think they mm-hmm. care much about Austin Butler, but like that he's good. He's good at being Elvis. Mm-hmm. And um, the movie got a ton of nominations, you know. And I think that we're talking about international branches, uh, international members, and and other you know um, creative craft branches. Like I think they are much less wedded to the Fraser narrative than the actors are. Yes, and um, that would be my guess. I haven't talked to these people, so who knows? But like I think I think you think of a Eurocentric audience, Elvis premiering at Cannes, like whatever. I think that's much more in the Elvis camp than is um uh, than they would be for the whale i mean fraser didn't win at venice you know he had a golden opportunity to and he didn't and um granted that's just a small jury of people but like i don't know i just think that like the momentum in terms of academy history of late is behind butler where yes there is this individual personal sentimental one behind fraser and i think that the the former is stronger at this point yeah i would say everything you just said richard and i i I feel Really, like, I want to stick to my guns on this one, unlike in so many of the other acting categories where I feel like I could go either way. It just feels right to me. That doesn't mean I'm right. And I will fully admit that if I turn out to be wrong. But I feel like the Brendan Fraser comeback resonates much more with people like SAG, American voters, and the Global Academy. And um, we've already predicted Elvis to win a bunch of awards. So, like, is it going to win in all those places and not an actor? I mean, they don't match up one to one, but it feels like another powerful argument for it. Sorry, I said 13 uh, biopics, uh, 14, because I forgot Joker. <laughs> Obviously. <laughs> yeah, Mayor of New York City, I think. <laughs> the Clown um, Prince of New York. Well, let's do Best Director and Best Picture together, maybe, um, because we are predicting them to go hand in hand, which they have not done um, all that much in recent years. But um, this seems to be the year. We'll, we'll start with Director. Um you know, for a long time, and David, you wrote this in our predictions, like, I, I hung on to this being a chance for Spielberg for a very long time, but I think the uh, momentum is, is far too clear for that at this point. Yeah, I, I wrote that this is one of the clearest cases of a seeming front runner, seeming, you know, getting their moment uh, win in a category, just getting overwhelmed by the everything, everywhere love. And this is one place where it seemed difficult to imagine these two guys winning Best Director over the likes of Steven Spielberg and, you know, even at the time, like Todd Field and Martin McDonough. Um, But they have just completely 
um, I think, eliminated competition. This could have been an interesting race if the directing branch went with Edward Berger, because that's such a craft-driven war movie that they just, you know, in the same way that you had sort of Pong Joon-ho uh, versus Sam Mendes, Pong did win in the end. Um, but um, in this case, there's no real challenger that has proven in any way that they can beat him. It's really weird that Berger didn't get in. Mm-hmm. It is. Like over, I mean, Osland, like, obviously they liked that movie a lot, but like, I don't know. That's just very surprising to me because I think he would be, because I, I, I think the question I was going to ask, you know, David and Rebecca was like, if it's not the Daniels, who? You know, and if Berger was there, that would be the obvious answer. But now it's like Spielberg, I guess. Yeah. It is wild yeah. that Spielberg is not considered a real contender in this category because to me, it just felt like such an obvious choice when we started out on this journey many months ago. But yeah. Um, it, yeah, it doesn't feel like they have that competition. It just, you know, I, I've brought up the New Spirits 47 times now, but that's because they won every category they were nominated in, which is like an unprecedented thing. And it just, with their DJ win and, and it just, yeah, they're unbeatable, I think. And they give very speeches. Like they've been in very enjoyable presence throughout, you know, despite being kind of like the upstart kids, so to speak. Um, you know, they fit into the the format of these award shows very well and people would want to see them on stage again and again uh so rebecca you're in charge of predicting best picture we we, we made it easy on you in one category at least although do, yeah. do you want to talk about this all quiet and western front theory that's tormenting us right now sure yeah i'm picking everything everywhere all at once <laughs> sensibly um yeah, I mean, I, you know, I have talked to people. Obviously, we're talking about the ballot um, affecting this choice because it is the preferential ballot, which means if there are all these people out there supposedly who don't like everything ever at once and they put it ninth or 10th and a lot of people put all quiet two or one or two, I guess there's a possibility. I mean, when we're talking about this prediction piece um, that was written on, at another outlet that is predicting all quiet. I think we have to raise the question of who who is talking to them and who they are talking to. Mm -hmm. um, the Academy uh -huh. is gigantic. It is much more diverse than it used to be. It is much more international than it used to be. You are not talking to 10,000 people for your articles. At least I'm not. So, um, Just 9,000. Just 9,000. It's just you have to be careful of that sort of echo chamber depending on the sort of voices you hear from. Um, to me, it's it's obviously uh, going to be everything, everywhere. I mean, there are four other films that I've ever won, DGA, PGA, SAG, and WGA. Um, all of them won Picture, American Beauty, No Country for Old Men, Slumdog Millionaire, and Argo. So I feel like Argo looms large in our conversation. Oh, no, mm -hmm. I guess. Um, this movie has to win because that has not ever happened um where you win all the guilds and don't win this so i feel pretty sure about this now which i wouldn't have said a few weeks ago yeah i mean look it's everything everywhere all at once there's going to be people who don't love that movie yeah. um I, I think it's a fool's errand when you're predicting oscar winners to rely on you know sentiments from voters you're hearing firsthand because it's such a small sample size to exactly your point rebecca you are dealing with in some way a skewed sample, even if it's just like you're in the United States and a lot of Academy members are not in the United States. Um, and I just look at PGA as the real flaw in the theory that it's not strong enough to win despite everything, because PGA is a more conservative group than the Academy. Mm -hmm. They use a ranked ballot and it won. Yes, All Quiet was not even nominated there, but I don't, I don't know. That's like a 
a column in its favor <laughs> that it wasn't even in the top 10. Um, cause it's not like WGA where it was ineligible. It was eligible and it wasn't nominated. Yeah. So yeah, I would say if you're imagining like a voter and they're, they're picking their passion project number one and it's not everything everywhere. Right. I could see an all quiet voter putting everything at two an avatar voter doing mm. the same Banshees, mm-hmm. Elvis, Tar, Top Gun, Triangle, I think women talking in Fablemans are the only two in this imagined voter who I'm like, I don't know what their number two would be, but like, that's a lot of the movies, you know? And I just feel like it, it has appeal across a variety of tastes. Um, even if it is, you know, sort of quirky and, you know, weird. Um, I I don't know. I think given the lineup of nominees, it could get a lot of number twos and it'll get a plenty of number of number one votes. So I just, I think it's a really hard path for any other movie to win. I mean, for a long time, we definitely thought that the older, more conservative voters would be, you know, turned off by elements of this movie. But they just kept not being that like it's track record so much speaks that there are if there are those if there are those people, there's not enough of them to overwhelm everybody else. Um, And it's the movie about a family. This is my new master theory of the Oscars. If you are a movie about a family coming together through adversity, even if you are Parasite or Coda or everything everywhere all at once, you have a very good chance of winning an Oscar. Didn't help Avatar The Way of Water, though, which is really about Mm -hmm. the same thing. Or Fablemans. Top Gun, about a family, in a way. It's true, true. Well, a Vin Diesel-style found family. The yeah. franchise is really uh, yeah. seeing their spot yeah. here. Um, well, how do we feel good about these predictions? <laughs> do we sure. feel like we're going to no. be proud on Monday? <laughs> Just staring at the timestamp of how long we've been recording, and I feel like that's the answer to your question. <sighs> it's a fun year, though. I, you know, There's obviously potential for disappointment in a lot of these, but I feel like there's a lot of potential for really great stuff to happen. I, There's not a lot of bad movies that I would be very upset about winning. Just a lot of things that I would prefer more than others. And I, I like that in an Oscar year. It's yeah. going to make the evening fun because there's going to be a lot, like there's like four nail biters, you know, toward yeah. the end of the evening yeah. or, or actually I guess some of the supportings are earlier, but like, you know what I mean? It's just, there's a lot kind of up in the air, even though the top two-ish prizes feel kind of preordained. And it kind of makes like makeup exciting. Like if Elvis wins or Sound. the whale wins that, yes, exactly. There, yeah. Every place will steer the the end toward the end of the night in a kind of different way which is exciting and i really can't i know we said this last week but watching the shorts just gives you such a deep rooting interest in a category that other people aren't paying attention to and you get to have like a thrill early in the night so i I highly recommend that as well and everybody will be on the telecast so we get to see them all this year (laughs) i know see like the the very the bare minimum one thing is going to go better than it did last year Just be prepared for whoever pre- uh, presents Best Actress. If they open that envelope and say the Oscar goes to George and Tammy, we're going to have to figure out how Chastain did it. <laughs> it could happen. We don't know. Well, they have a crisis response team in place this year. <laughs> right, so exactly. those, those people are just going to rush the stage and try to figure it out. Um, well, as I said at the beginning, uh, catch us on the live stream after the Oscars. Catch us on Oscar night. Uh, live blogging through it all. Um, and then on uh, Monday morning, we'll have an episode as quick as we can to break it all down. And uh, I'm now feeling a little sad that the Oscars are almost over, which I know is crazy because this is when everyone is just like ready to never say the words Banshees of the Sharon ever again. Um, <laughs> but, you know, we'll enjoy it while it lasts. So you can find us on VF.com, as I said. You can find us on Twitter at VF Awards Insider. That's on Instagram as well. And uh, we're all on Twitter. I am at Katie Rich and Richard. Rylaws. And David. David Canfield, 97. And Rebecca. Rebecca M. Ford. Our editor and producer is Brett Fuchs, and this week's award for our vacation goals after the Oscars goes to David Canfield. 
not to be sort of too um, mathy. I'm Nomi Fry, and this week on Critics at Large, we're talking about the delights and shortcomings of the new movie Challengers. It starred Zendaya at the center of a tennis triangle and a very steamy love triangle. Who are her loyalties to? Will she be tempted by the other one? How do these guys reckon their professional playing ambition with their romantic and sexual feelings about this mysterious woman? And such we have it. We have a conflict between three people in a game meant for two. Is it a sports movie or a sex movie? Find out on Critics at Large from The New Yorker. New episodes drop every Thursday, wherever you get your podcasts.